The Keystone Horror Podcast is supported by you. Join me in thanking new patrons, Shannon Allen and Candice Nola. Patrons keep this podcast going and keep it ad-free. In return, you get extra content. You can become a patron for as little as $1 a month and gain access to bonus content like behind-the-scenes updates, early access to free stories, polls, and, of course, extra stories that are included with any tier. Consider becoming one today to support the show. I'd like to thank everybody that helped make the launch of the show a huge success. We've passed 700 downloads in less than a month, and that's about 690 more than I was expecting. Again, thank you. I've taken your feedback and critique of the first episodes and have tweaked my narration style and my tempo to better suit the podcast's theme and feel. I hope you enjoy these changes. Last, I'm sure you're all aware that next month is October, and I have plans to do something special for the season. Each week, during the month, a story will be released. The first and third Mondays will have free episodes released, while the second and fourth Mondays will have patron-exclusive stories released. So if you're a patron, you get one story per week. Now, on to our story. KHP 004 Dear The accounts from this day are only two. Nathan, my best friend, and myself. These events happened in November of 2009 in Clearfield County, Pennsylvania. We were in ninth grade at the time and had just gotten out of high school for Thanksgiving break. We had planned this week for a long time. Both of us had just gotten Call of Duty Modern Warfare 2 and were planning on playing it nearly nonstop for the week. We had spent the day at my parents' house playing, riding bikes, normal kid stuff. Our parents' houses are only a mile or two apart. You can almost see one house from the other if not for the small crest of forested hill that's between the houses blocking your sight. My parents owned one of the first models of John Deere Gators, and if you're lucky, you'll still see them around. It has four big balloon-looking tires in the back. There's two on each side, with a four-foot square bed that you can haul things in. And there's one tire in the middle of the front end that you can steer with, At the time, this vehicle was about 25 years old, if not older. So it was old, loud, and uh, somewhat sluggish, topping out around 15 miles an hour. But it got us where we needed to go back then. I placed my Xbox and clothes in the bed of the Gator, and we headed out. I was driving, and Nathan was in the passenger seat. Our journey wouldn't take long, maybe 10 or 15 minutes at most, to go from one house to the other. We came off my parents' dirt driveway and crossed the road, going into an ATV trail that followed the old railroad bed. A series of railroad ties was all that remained of the original tracks after the rails were removed. We followed the trail until we reached the end, at a state road, only two lanes, one in each direction. The road was normally driven on by speeding assholes as they began to enter the town and never slowed down. I drove the gator onto the road, flooring it and sticking to the shoulder as best I could, crossing over a bridge and turning left across both lanes and into a driveway. As we turned onto the driveway, we drove past an old red-sided house with large trees lining the edge of the yard as we headed towards the next ATV trail. 
At the end of this driveway, there was a large warehouse-looking building made of cinder blocks. The two of us always thought that it would be an interesting place to explore, if the doors weren't chained shut. Behind the warehouse is where the next trail began. We drove onto it, curving behind the warehouse and climbing up the hill towards Nathan's parents. This section of the hill that we were climbing now always slowed the gator down. The hill wasn't steep, but if you were to ride a bicycle down it, you would be holding your brakes for sure, but you'd never feel out of control. Other, more nimble and smaller ATVs had put ruts into the trail as they spun their tires, trying to go up the hill too quickly. During the winter melt-off and summer downpours, water from the hillside would follow the trail and eventually wash out much of this loose dirt, causing large washout areas that made the trail uneven and even harder to navigate. The Gator was a wide vehicle, almost four foot wide, and had to cover the trail in its entirety. We weren't able to drift to one side or the other, so we had to go straight through and over these washed-out areas, slowing down to nearly a quarter of our full speed. Me and Nathan had taken this trail dozens of times and knew this would occur, and we thought nothing of it when we would come to a crawl on this winding part of the hill. It just gave us a few more moments to look at nature and the forest around us. The incline of the hill began to taper after a few hundred feet, leaving us on a semi-flat trail. We proceeded, seeing that new growth from the summer hadn't yet been knocked back by other riders, leaving small tendrils of vines, some bushes and small branches that scraped against the body of the gator, and required me and Nathan to raise our hands to push the leaves and the branches out of the way to avoid being struck in the face. I would say we rode for nearly a quarter of a mile before the trees thinned out into a series of overgrown fields. These fields had once been hay fields of farmers' past, but the current landowners had never made a new agreement with any of the local farmers, and the fields were now left to grow unhindered. These fields had a year's worth of grass grown up in them. At this point, it was nearly two feet tall with bushes and small saplings poking slightly higher than the surrounding grasses. There are a few larger bushes scattered about the field, five or six feet tall and eight or nine feet wide. These fields were known to the locals of the area as Bull's Head. The three fields are separated by trails that were once used to move equipment between them. The trails all connected in a large dirt patch in the center of them, where equipment and vehicles could turn around, park, or be maintained if needed. At the top of this dirt patch are two small sheds. One was once a chicken coop, and the other is a small 10 foot by 10 foot enclosed shed. It was used to store seeds, basic maintenance tools, and other materials for the farms and the equipment that would work them. I guess the dirt patch and the sheds are the bull's head and the eyes, with the two trails leading off the sides serving as horns. I've personally looked at satellite and aerial photography of this area from different eras, and I don't see the bull's head shape that the area is named after. I would guess that no one had tended the fields in nearly a decade. Nathan and I weren't sure if the people that once owned the field had died and the new owners just didn't care, or if they just abandoned it, waiting for the opportunity to develop and make money from it. We rode on the trail towards the sheds at the center of the bull's head fields, 
We were chatting loudly over the sound of the engine as the engine was at its limit. We were discussing different strategies for defeating the other team and what new items we were going to unlock when we approached the sheds. We always became silent when we came near the sheds. Maybe it was the scary stories that we told or the scary movies that we watched during late night sleepovers. Maybe the long hours going down rabbit holes of paranormal YouTube and trying to find the scariest things was the cause of the uneasiness. Regardless of the cause, we always became silent here. This area just seemed creepy to us. The sheds, though not very tall, maybe ten feet at most from ground to peak, always seemed taller when we rode by them. The area around the sheds had not been maintained for even longer than the fields. We could tell because of the size of the trees and the bushes surrounding the sheds. There were multiple trees, two to four inches thick, sat around the sheds, casting shadows on them at any time of the day. There were large bushes and brambles sat along the back of the sheds and wrapped themselves slightly along the sides and made the building seem smaller, like they were nestled in the bushes. Weeds had grown through the packed dirt and grew tall, obscuring the first two or three feet of the sheds the whole way around them adding to the effect that they had been there for a very long time. The chicken coop was open on one side, and allowed us to look right into the entire structure at once, while the storage shed only had one door to peer through. The two of us would always joke after passing the sheds, and the uneasy feeling left us. Questions like, what would you do if you saw someone inside one of the sheds looking at us? Usually that was followed up by a, well, I'd just shit my pants, or I'd jump off and run because I can run faster than this piece of shit thing we're riding on. The two of us would laugh about it, but every time we passed the sheds, we would both get quiet and watch closely, just in case the fictional person we joked would be there really was. We rode slowly past the sheds, peering in at the old shelves where the chickens once resided and where tools once sat. Inside of the enclosed shed, we caught a glimpse of the partial remains of an old bed frame. We always wondered how long a person could live there before someone found them. Nathan and I may have been the only people that would drive by this area for days at a time. The sheds were out of sight of any of the surrounding properties, and someone could have easily lived there without the knowledge of anyone else around. After the sheds, the hill incline became steeper as we passed them and arrived back in overgrown fields on either side of us. It wouldn't be more than another five minutes before we arrived at Nathan's parents, and our week of mindless video games would begin. I glanced at Nathan with a smile, ready to begin my usual jokes about the place, when I noticed he was looking behind us at the sheds. To this day, I'm unsure as to why we looked backwards. Nathan has no real explanation for it, and I saw him do it first, then I did the same. The gator was loud enough, with its engine at full speed, going up the hill, that we never would have heard anything. I mean, we had to shout to talk two feet apart. Now, we were both high-ranked in our Boy Scout troop. I don't know if it was some sort of sixth sense regarding knowing your surroundings that we had developed out in the woods, but what remains true is that we both looked back within a second of each other, and I regret ever doing so. It was brief, maybe... A second or two that we both saw it, but we both described the same thing 
We saw a deer, with large antlers. It dashed across the trail, maybe two or three dozen feet behind us. As soon as we saw it, we instantly knew that there was something wrong with it, based on the color of the fur alone. As I had said before, it was November in Pennsylvania, and the white-tailed deer's coat, which was usually a rusty orange color in the summer, had now turned into a brown color to blend in with the trees and lack of foliage in the winter months. We saw neither of those colors, but a grayish-black color, like graphite in a pencil. The size of this deer as well was larger than that of an ordinary deer. It was at least one and a half times the size. Maybe twice the size if I had to guess. This deer that we saw dashed from one side of the road to the other, on the far side of the sheds, and instantly out of our view. Now I know, seeing a larger, darker colored deer doesn't sound like much, but it wasn't just these things. It was the way it ran. It ran entirely on its hind legs. Its front legs were... It's in a position that's hard to uh, describe, but... Stop what you're doing and put the back of your wrists together in front of you and pull your arms up back towards your body with your elbows pointed up and out. An unnatural movement by some sort of unnatural being that we caught only a momentary glimpse of, and it terrified us. It crossed the road and went out of sight, covered by the large bushes, the sheds, and the tall grasses of the field. The only thing we saw was the time when it went between the sheds on the trail, and that was more than enough. I'm not going to make something up at this point and say that it stopped to make a noise or stare at us from the bushes or something like that where it chased us. It just crossed the trail and was gone. The two of us looked at each other, eyes wide at what we had just seen. Go, dude! Freaking go! Nathan yelled above the sound of the engine. I already have it floored. This is as fast as we can go. I yelled back, looking at my foot to make sure I was flooring it. The last portion of the hill above the sheds was what we were traversing. The gator was already strained, going eight or nine miles an hour up the trail. If anything wanted to, it could have easily chased us as we were only going slightly faster than a jog. We were slow, loud, and in the open on a trail. The worst things for potential prey to be. And we felt like prey in that moment. I never saw it again. Nathan has confirmed to me that he hasn't either. We didn't see it during our panic yelling, or during the frantic attempts to push the gator with our feet as if it were a large skateboard. If that deer, that thing, wanted to do something to us in that moment, it easily could have. But it didn't. We drove and made it to his parents, and after a few hours of playing games, we both wrote down exactly what we saw and shared it and our descriptions were almost exactly the same. I was sitting at a campfire at Nathan's parents this summer and asked him about the incident. He told me the same story as I have just told you. The gator, the deer crossing the road, the stance it was in, the color, and the frantic panic and stupid attempts to speed it up that we made, all were the same. We have no reason to lie about it, because there's nothing to gain from telling the story. It's been nearly 11 years at the time of this recording since these events occurred, and Nathan and I have not, and still will not to this day, go on that hillside between our parents' homes. In the house I currently reside in, 
I can see that hillside, the field, and part of one of the sheds where this story occurred, and often wonder if it's still up there, or if it's moved on. I still get a chill down my spine when I see a deer in my yard, or when one is standing on the side of the road. The only thing I can think about is that stance, the way that deer looked, and I expect the deer that I'm looking at to stand upright, put its hooves together, and begin running. Thanks for listening to the Keystone Horror Podcast. Follow the show on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube. Rate and review us on iTunes, and consider becoming a patron to get access to bonus content and extra patron-exclusive stories.